0: Thank you, Jane. I love that new song, too. That was so, so good um uh you know, um when we keep getting thrown curveballs, which is what life seems to be doing so much of um lately um, reopenings and then reclosings and steps forward and two steps back and all of that um it is it's great to be reminded of who God is, of his goodness, of taking the time um, to declare that he is good and there's some good things happening and um, we're gonna we're gonna take a minute um, to look at a passage of scripture today that um, again I think it's a it gives us a snapshot of what so many of us might be wrestling with right now. There is an obvious sense of of feeling displaced that many of us feel. Uh, We feel it on Sundays since we've been sheltering in place. Um, There are going to be students in Marin that are going to feel displaced as they begin the school year um, with distance learning. Again, there's going to be teachers. Some of you on this call right now will feel displaced because you're not in that classroom. Um, in so many ways we feel we can have that feeling of, of being displaced and i want to remind us that god's people and in particular the hebrew people of the old testament they were a nation who were often displaced so much of what we read in the scriptures are accounts of what their life was like when they were displaced and i want us to look at one uh one person in particular who was displaced and what we can glean from his displacement and more than what we can learn from it because that's such a such a Western mindset of, okay, so what, what can we learn from this so that we can apply it? Um, I want us to to do a couple of things today. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we can apply some things, but I want us to really sense hope from what we read today and that we would walk away with just this deep sense of awe that there is a God who meets us when we are displaced. So uh, the biblical character that we're gonna look at, his name is Jacob. And uh, if you have a Bible off to the side, grab it. Uh, Genesis 28 is where we're gonna camp out for just a few minutes. Uh, As we read this page from Jacob's life, I want you to keep in mind that he is early on his journey. Uh, He is literally on a journey having been displaced from his home, Uh, but he's likely very early on his spiritual journey. And the Bible gives us clues that indicate uh, that he had not yet embraced a monotheistic view of God. He believed in the God of his ancestor Abraham, but Jacob likely embraced local gods and idols of his day as well. So as we read this particular story, uh, don't read it through the lens of, oh, wow, Jacob is this spiritual giant, and that's why he had this encounter. Um, don't don't compare yourself to him as though he were a spiritual giant who has far outpaced you. Um, he's where a lot of us can relate. I know some of you are really early on your spiritual journey. And then there's also some of us who are... Um, we still feel like we're early on our spiritual journey. Maybe we have uh, quite a long track record with God, but we we just realize, wow, we have a long ways to go. And maybe we say we believe in God, but the truth is we're also holding on to other gods, small g. There's other things that, that we have idolized. There's, there's other things that, that really capture our attention um, even more than God does at times. So. Let's look at this story and let's let's realize that um, God is is drawing near to us and we don't have to become spiritual giants. He meets us right here where we are. Beginning in verse 10 uh, is where we're gonna pick up this story, Genesis 28. We read that Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Uh, When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Let me press pause on this story and say, you know you are tired when you can use a rock for a pillow and sleep well. Um, I can't help but wonder for Jacob if stress played a role in him getting some sleep. Uh, The text says that he stopped for the night because the sun had set. That makes sense. We might stop um, at the the end of the day because it's getting dark. Uh, We may go to bed because, okay, it's that time where we go to bed, but sleep happens because we're tired and stress can leave you very tired. It could be that some of the fatigue you are feeling now is due to stress. And Jacob, there was unbelievable family stress. Um, His family was marked by deceit, rivalry, stealing, and favoritism. It was a very stressful home. And on top of that, his burly older brother wanted to kill him. So Jacob left in a hurry. So he's at the beginning of this journey uh, where he is hot tailing it. He's not running away from home. He's running for his life. And so here he is. He's on the run. He's headed to this great unknown. He's not sure if he's ever going to be able to see his family again. He's all alone, or so he thought. And things had grown very dark. Literally, it was at night, but figuratively, darkness surrounded him. And so just so that we can kind of maybe say, oh, yeah, I can kind of get that, Um, Can we acknowledge that to one degree or another, we might be facing a stress of some sort? It could be family stress. It could be economic. It could be emotional. Uh, You may sense that you're surrounded by a darkness that keeps you from knowing what's ahead. You may feel alone where you are. Uh, You may be overwhelmed by the violence in our land and the injustice But what we're going to see in just a moment in Jacob's life is that it's in each of these type of situations that Jacob encountered God. And so can we. We encounter God speaking and blessing in times when stress is at its highest, nighttime at its darkest, and loneliness at its chilliest. So with that backdrop and understanding that there was a lot happening in Jacob's life at the time listen to what happened as he slept. Verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. A stairway to heaven. Now, this word translated as stairway is made up of two Hebrew words. Um, You may be familiar with them. Led Zeppelin. Now, this is that time if we were all together in the auditorium, I would have to wait several minutes for you to stop laughing um, or, or not. Maybe it would just be a groan. Okay, so the Hebrew words are not Led Zeppelin, uh, stairway to heaven, humor me. Uh, but depending on the translation you're reading, it could say it could refer to a stairway or it could refer to a ladder. Either way, um, you kind of get a strong visual of what's taking place in this dream. He had this dream where he saw a stairway or a ladder. Now, the ladder I have right here is a it's a six foot step ladder, and just so you know, it will not reach to heaven. Uh, it will not even reach to the <laughs> to the loft uh, storage area in our garage. You can ask Brian Kaplan. Uh, you can ask Colby. They know you can ask my son because I have asked them to climb up on the ladder and then take this kind of precarious leap up onto the loft. So it's, it it will not reach to heaven. Um, but let me make a real simple analogy an encounter with God, which is what Jacob goes on to have is not dependent upon how high you can climb, but rather the length of God's ladder. Um, Let me describe it this way, uh, kind of taking from some of the, the stressors and the issues that Jacob was going through that we could probably relate to. The answer to loneliness is not climbing the ladder to meet people. The answer to anxiety is not climbing the ladder in order to control outcomes. The answer to an uncertain future is not climbing a ladder so you can see what's coming from down the road. The answer is encountering the God of the ladder that reaches all the way down to earth. Now in John 1, Jesus makes this uh, parallel and you gotta wonder if he is um, reaching back to this Old Testament story that we're looking at in Genesis 28. But he's talking to his disciples who are uh, very young and early on and they're amazed at some of what Jesus has said And he says, oh, that's nothing compared to what you're going to see. And in John 1, verses 50 and 51, he says, you will see angels ascending and descending, not on a ladder, but he says, on the Son of Man. In other words, he's referring to himself. In other words, Jesus himself is the ladder. Encountering the God of the ladder who reaches all the way to where you are, and to where I am. The God of the ladder who reaches all the way to where we are in the loneliness, in the anxiety, in the uncertainty. Because this is where we have surprise encounters with God. Here, right here. Jesus comes to meet us in the darkest moments of our life. Jesus comes to meet us when we are exhausted by the stress and the uncertainty of life. The only place we can encounter God is right where we are. And the only time we can encounter God is now in the present moment. So I want you to just let that powerful truth sink in, that there's a, there's a, um, a, a mindset that we might have of we wanna earn this encounter with God, we wanna earn God's attention but he is the God who has a ladder that is not one that we are required to climb, but that he came down to us. And so verse 13, let's continue with this story. There above it, I'm talking about the stairway or the ladder, or again, depending on the translation, because the the preposition that's used in the Hebrew could mean a variety of things there above it or beside it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. He is repeating to Jacob, the promise that he is still holding true that he gave to his ancestor, Abraham. And then the Lord continues in verse 15. He says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Um, on, uh, on our Bay Moran Instagram account, um, I'm guessing it was Max that that put this in here for us, uh, but there is a verse that stood out. I think to Brian, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's Genesis 28, 15. I will bring you back to this land, and I've wondered, Brian, uh, for you, what this is like for you to have a return to Texas, where where you are from. Um, but most importantly, it's not just going back to a, a certain land. I hope that you and Katie sense with just a really strong presence of God, him saying, I am with you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's what God was saying to Jacob. And I believe that's that's still a message for us today. And then verse 16. This is so powerful. And this is I, I, this might be the part of the story that I can relate to more than anything. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Let me read that again. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago about awe, and it's this combination of this Um, I can't help but want to reach out to God, but that realization that he is wholly other. He was filled with awe. How awe-filled, awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. What a beautiful moment this was for this guy. He's early on his journey. Unbelievable stress. Yeah. Life is on yeah. Sometimes God zoom bombs <laughs> and <laughs> comes through loud and clear. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit more subtle. Um, so, so Jacob woke up from his sleep and he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it let me mention this. Surely the Lord is in this place where I am. He's in this place where you are. Could it be that we don't know it? Jacob confessed to what so many of us relate to, um, getting so caught up in life, distracted by life, blinded by the stressors of life, and we miss what is right before our eyes. Okay, confession. I have man eyes. How many of you know what man eyes are? Just give me a thumbs up. You ever heard the phrase man eyes? Yeah? Okay, so it's in the Urban Dictionary. And if, even if you've not heard the phrase man eyes, so many of you are gonna be able to relate to what I'm talking about. Man eyes are what women refer to when a man cannot see what is right in front of his face. Okay? This is something that plagues men. I don't know what it is, but we can be looking for something. And uh, it, it's right in front of our eyes. And yet we still have this helpless feeling uh, where we kind of say, I, I, I can't find it. Can you Can you help me? And, and a woman will step in and instantly see it. Um, but we have man eyes. We're unable to see these things that are right in front of us. So, like, I can open up the, the door to our hall pantry to look for something and not see it, even though it's in plain sight right there. And I know as soon as I ask Beth to come look for it, she's going to immediately see it. This has happened, I don't know how many times in our marriage. It could be like, I'm, where's, the, where's our box of Q-tips? Uh, because wherever it is, surely it is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Man eyes have kept me um, also from, from completing my list at Safeway. Surely every item on that grocery list that I was sent to purchase was in that place. Very well marked, yet I was not aware of its presence. Now, I do want to tell you about a trip that Beth and I made to Costco a couple of trips ago. We were in the checkout line. And then we both remembered that we still needed sparkling water. And Beth said she would stay in line while I made a quick trip to get a case of the Kirkland brand of sparkling water. And I'm not exaggerating. When I say, as soon as she said, I'll stay here and you go get it, you go find it. I instantly felt pressure, knowing that my man eyes very well could let me down. See, because of my man eyes, I knew that there was a really good chance that I was going to walk right past Kirkland sparkling water, cases of it, and not see it. So I make my way back to this area, and I can you know, she's in the checkout line. We don't want to lose our place in a long checkout line at Costco. I went to the area where I was pretty sure that they kept sparkling water, and I couldn't find it. I I had to uh, walk back without sparkling water. And I knew as Beth was looking for me coming back, I knew what was going to happen when she saw that I didn't have the sparkling water in my hands because of my man eyes, I couldn't see it. And as I'm walking back, I see Beth's woman eyes. Now woman eyes isn't, is not in the urban dictionary. I'm just kind of contrasting it with man eyes, woman eyes, it's not an eye roll of disrespect woman eyes. That's what I call that look in Beth's eyes. That look of pity that says, Oh, it must be really tough being you. You know, it's just, <laughs> that, that, she really feels sorry for me in those moments when my man eyes have totally so, so um, after searching for several minutes, and, and figuring that by now, Beth has already gone through the checkout line. I, I, I walk back to the front. She gives me the woman eyes of, oh. And, uh, and so instead of just kind of cowering, guys, have you ever done this? Instead of cowering and kind of with a sheepish grin, a sheepish look saying I couldn't find it, with a confident tone, I stood up straight and tall and I go, they're out of sparkling water. And so Beth went to look for it with her woman eyes. And I'm telling you guys, I cannot tell you how relieved I was to see her come back empty handed. Even Beth couldn't find it. And it was, it was, I'm not going to lie. It was not just a small victory for me. I want you to know, guys, that was a victory for all of mankind. That was for every man out there. Okay. That was a that was a win for each of us. So celebrate that with me. Surely the Lord is in this place. Okay, now back to our story. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. That's what Jacob said. Did Jacob have man eyes? The better question is, do you and I have man eyes when it comes to recognizing God in our midst? Would we recognize an encounter with God, especially an unexpected encounter with God. Here's another story. After nine months of living at our previous house in Hamilton, some of you were there just to hang out with us. Others of you have been there recently uh, and helping us move. One day, Jack got out of the car and pointed to a sapling, this little tree that's planted between our driveway and the neighbor's driveway. Uh, If you've been to that neighborhood, you know there's only like eight feet of space between driveways. And Jack looked at me and he said, did they just plant that tree? And I didn't answer right away because I thought maybe he was joking because that tree was there when we moved in. So for nine months, Jack had gotten out of my car on that side of the driveway right next to that tree. For nine months, he never noticed the tree. And it's man-eyes. He's genetically predisposed. That's my fault that he's genetically predisposed to man-eyes but here's the application that's piercing to me. How many times have I missed God standing between our two driveways? In particular, how few times was I consciously aware that as I stood in my driveway and I talked to Andy and Kelly standing in their driveway that God was in our midst? Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. But then he goes on to say how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. Jacob recognizes that even then God was not restricted as to where he would reside. We are encountering in this sheltering in place with all of its challenges and as challenging as it is for us to not be together as a body of Christ under the same roof on Sunday mornings to sing and to worship and to hug and all of that, God is not restricted to that one place. Surely the Lord is in this place, in your place. Lord God, help us become aware of all the places that we can encounter you. Maybe that could be our simple prayer this week. Lord God, I want to become aware of all the places I could possibly encounter you. And then that phrase, this is the gate of heaven. Jacob saw this as the gate, a doorway, this place. When we encounter God in that place of encounter, We are on the threshold of heaven. The kingdom of heaven breaks into earth in those places where God dwells. But understand this, recognizing God's presence unlocks the gate, not so that we can go to heaven, but so that heaven can come to us. Remember, my ladder and my climbing will never get me all the way to heaven. But the God of heaven chose to come down. In Matthew's gospel, he records 31 instances of Jesus referring to the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 10, verse 7, he gets really specific. Jesus says, as you go proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this is not referring to heaven as this place up in the sky. He's talking about the reality of the heavenly kingdom manifest here on earth. In Matthew 5, Jesus gives his disciples a model prayer that begins in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Anywhere and everywhere we encounter God, in that place of that encounter, we are on the threshold of heaven. We are at the base of the ladder where God comes to make his will actively known here on earth. The religion I grew up in was focused on how to get people to heaven. But the more I read the Bible, the more I understand that God has big plans of bringing heaven down to us. I've already mentioned two examples. On earth as it is in heaven and the kingdom of heaven is near, but the ultimate example is the incarnation. Jesus coming to earth. As as John writes in his gospel, very poetically, the word made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came to earth to model for us how to recognize and join God's heavenly activities here on earth. Not just a general on earth, but in specific places between driveways even. When alone or anxious or when facing an uncertain or daunting future, God is there. And may we have Jesus' eyes that always see the Father at work in our midst. Over the next handful of Sundays, I want to help us see where God is in Marin or wherever it is that you find yourself. The places that have nothing to do with a church building or even a scheduled worship service, God is in those. And may our prayer be, Lord God, I want to become aware of all the places I can encounter you. Let's wrap up this story in Genesis 28, verse 18. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it he called that place bethel though the city used to be called luz he called that place bethel though the city used to be called luz l u z is how it's spelled bethel what jacob named that place bethel means house of god jacob renamed that place the house of god the dwelling place of God. Now, Luz, L-U-Z, means almond tree. In other words, that area was known for an almond tree or for a grove of almond trees. Let me reach all the way back to the beginning of our time together this morning. I asked you a real simple question. What is Marin known for? Yes, it's known for beauty. Yes, it's known for high cost of living. It's known for artists. It's known for musicians. It's known for all of these things. But how awesome would it be? Let's dream with me for just a second. How awesome would it be if Marin became known as a dwelling place of God? What if we paid attention to God, breaking through into our world here so much that we renamed it Bethel, house of God. This is the dwelling place of God. What if you told someone, um, yeah, I live in Marin, and their response was, Marin, I hear that there are people in Marin who are keenly aware of God's presence in their midst. I hear that there have been breakthroughs and activities where great things Heavenly things take place in Marin. What if that is what we became known for? What if that's what Marin became known for? For Marin to become known as a dwelling place of God, let's keep in mind, it's not up to us to climb this big ladder and do great things. It begins with this. We are invited to grow increasingly aware of God's presence right here and right now, and with Jesus' eyes, to see the Father at work, even in these challenging times of loneliness, anxiety, and uncertainty. Jacob took his stone pillow, and he set it up as a reminder that regular stone became a sacred stone. It was still the same stone. It wasn't like all of a sudden it was glowing. But now that stone, it it meant something. It stood for something. (laughs) Literally, he stood the stone up, but it stood for something. I want you to, to reach for your communion elements that you have nearby. We do this every week. We take regular bread and regular juice. But something sacred happens. And I I don't mean that the bread and the juice change. They're They're still the same. It's just bread. It's just juice. But now they mean something. They stand for something. What do they stand for? Well, the bread stands for the body of Jesus offered in sacrifice for us. And the cup stands for the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us. Together, they stand for what Jesus did for us. They stand for what Jesus did because we couldn't do it for ourselves. They stand for what Jesus, as the ladder, came down to this earth to do for us because we couldn't climb high enough to do it for ourselves. So would you, taking your bread and your cup, when you're ready, Join me, eating the bread and drinking from the cup. Jesus' sacrifice is worth remembering. This stands for something. Before Jane leads us in this uh, next song, in in our closing song, I want to reemphasize something. God is always coming to us. God is seeking us. God is knocking on the door to your heart, to my heart. A story that we've looked at in recent weeks, God is the father of us as prodigals, the father who was always on the lookout for us and runs to meet us. He is the God who descended down the ladder because it was too much for us to climb on our own. He's the God of the Bible, is the God who is always making his way towards us. One of the clearest summaries of the Bible I've heard is that the first two chapters of the Bible, the first two chapters in Genesis, describe what it's like for us to be with God. Complete and satisfying union with God. The third chapter of the Bible is when mankind became separated from God. And the rest of the Bible is the story of God making his way down the ladder in a relentlessly loving pursuit of us. Let me pray and let's sing about that relentless pursuit of us. Father, we thank you. Thank you for loving us, for coming down. We thank you that everywhere we go, there is a ladder right there beside us. May we have the eyes of Jesus to see you, Father, and the ways you are bringing heaven to earth and the way you persistently, and this the song, will describe, even recklessly, pursue us in love. We thank you. Amen. Amen.